0: Welcome to The Nail, episode number 22. I am Tom Valentino, joined as always by Travis Uli, and we are recording on Wednesday night. The Cavs just put the finishing touches on a 113 104 win over the Bucks. Nice win on Kyrie Irving's birthday. And speaking of birthdays, Trav, a very happy birthday to you as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. 32 years young. Uh, not quite, uh, not doing quite as well as Kyrie, but. Uh, yeah. Counter blessings, I guess. Right.
0: Was it, uh, was it a good birthday for you?
1: Yeah, it was. Went out to dinner with the old lady and a few friends. Um, she surprised me, got me some, uh, tribe opening day tickets. So I'm, uh, ha- I think hashtag blessed is what the kids are saying these days.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Save that Tribe Talk for next week. We'll, uh, Absolutely. we'll, we'll get into that next week. We, uh, we're going uh, full Cavs here tonight, and uh, I'm very excited about this episode because we have a guest joining us, uh, Justin Rowan from FearTheSword.com. Uh, if you've listened to our show in the past or if you follow me on Twitter, you know I'm a big fan of Fear the Sword and uh, the work that everyone over there on that site does covering the Cavs. Uh, Justin hosts their podcast, and he does a great job with it. And I've wanted to get him on our show for quite a while. So with that, Justin, welcome to the nail.
2: I am absolutely flattered with that intro. Thank you so much for that. Um I I gotta give the credit for a lot of the brilliant stuff of Fear the Sword to the other guys. But um I I, I try to keep things fun, uh, try to occasionally share a bit of knowledge, but at the end of the day we're we're just uh we're just fans trying to uh share our perspective and um one thing I can say, and the thing I love about Cavs Twitter is, there's so many great bloggers, there's so many great personalities, and there's never any hostility. Um, I I find like you, well, okay, there's hostility when talking oh, about the stuff. Were but you being serious? I I was being serious about host. I I shouldn't have said Maybe no not hostility. not bloggers maybe yeah uh, there's no hostility between blogs and writers and podcasts like there's a friendly share there there's hostility when talking about the games and that but that's inevitable when you're dealing with sports
0: and then you get the uh, the knucklehead fans on there as well who want to uh flex their twitter muscles and that's yeah what
2: we're, yeah that insanity is everywhere <laughs> i'm yeah. sitting right here Tino.
0: <laughs> yeah i know you are Uh, So anyway, Justin, I have to ask you this before we really get going into all the Cavs stuff. You are in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. So this is officially our first international edition of uh, The Nail in the Coffin. And I have to ask, how in God's name did you get mixed up in uh, Cavs Twitter and uh, the world of the Cavs? And uh, when did that all go down?
2: I, I could sum it up in two words that would leave you with more questions than you have already. And that's Carlos Boozer. Um, <laughs> when I was young, um, a lot of the central division teams, we would get games up here. Um, it was just one of those things with broadcasting. And I was looking for a big man to emulate, preferably with the jump shot. And Boozer was one of the guys I watched a lot of um, the First year I started watching was just before – well, it was the year before LeBron joined the team. So the, the cast were awful. But I, I liked Boozer. Um, I liked Delgalskis, although I, I believe he missed quite a bit of that year. Um, and then they drafted LeBron. Um, I moved on from Boozer, started like – Uh, Emulating other players, but uh, I still kept on following the Cavs kept on following the Cavs and just one of those weird things when you're a kid that you you develop a random allegiance, at least when you're not living in a town with a professional basketball team, Uh, you develop an allegiance and I just kind of stuck with it. Um, And then uh, after the decision, uh, I wasn't sure how things were going to go ended up becoming an even more diehard Cavs fan, which kind of surprised me, to be honest. Uh and then I've been writing for Fear the Sword for about three and a half, four years now. So um started when they weren't as good, but uh things things have changed in a hurry, that's for sure.
0: Well, I, I want the record to show that uh Justin here says and uh um has established that his fandom began before LeBron uh came to the Cavs even the first time and uh that was about uh as uh, rough a period um in Cavs fandom um, as I can remember the uh, the Ricky Davis Darius, Darius miles uh, <laughs> and boozer days and um, the uh, the old uh, black and blue uh, uniforms so um, god bless you for uh jumping on uh, the bandwagon at that point and uh yeah you know, as far as the the, the dark days uh, between LeBron eras um, I, I think uh, it, it kind of separated uh, the the, the 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 diehards from uh the bandwagoners, so to speak. Um
1: it, it... it separated the LeBron fans from the Cavs fans.
0: Yeah, that that's uh I, I would agree with that. So um it was Although a... I
1: will say, of all the, the the dookies that you could jump on to support, I'm surprised you didn't go with Trajan Langdon.
2: Mm. <laughs> the, the
1: Alaskan assassin, who I think just got a front office job with the Nets, actually.
2: Well, that's a funny thing. Like that was so like I was so young then like I probably didn't watch tons of basketball um so I, I, I was far from a die either. I was far from a die at that time and I really hadn't developed my hatred of duke uh players and duke the school just yet which is funny because now my favorite player in the league is Kyrie Irving which is of course a duke alum but uh he 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 realized the error of his ways and he started faking injuries in college and all that so (laughs) he didn't have to play too many games for duke
0: he's about the the least duke
2: alum of a duke alum that you can be that's pretty true
0: yeah all right so hey let's uh let's jump into some of the uh the, the current happenings with the Cavs here um kind of thought this might be a little bit of a quiet time as we're still a few weeks away from the playoff starting. But um, <laughs> when you've got LeBron James on your team, there's never really a quiet time for your franchise. So another weird week uh, with a lot of unnecessary headaches uh, that uh, have popped up. Uh, Justin, I ask you, what did you make of uh, the weirdness that started with uh, LeBron on uh, Twitter and I guess Instagram uh, with his mass unfollowing of Cavs related accounts earlier this week.
2: Well, I didn't originally realize that he had follow unfollowed, uh, the cows reporters and stuff like that, which I, I guess it makes sense. Uh, he's doing his zero dark 23 or whatever he calls it. um, of tuning out media and all that, um I, I guess it's part of his ritual. I guess he could just stay off social media altogether, but I guess he doesn't want to do that entirely at the moment and and that's why he did the unfollowing. uh What frustrated me was when faced with the question about what he was doing, he did nothing to defuse the situation, and to me, that's kind of typical with LeBron. Uh, he's he's one of those people that goes through life wondering why drama follows him. But he does as much to stoke the fire of that drama as any individual I've ever come across. He loves it. He's admitted in the past that he thinks it's good for the team, that it brings them together. Uh, so I don't see him changing it. But it is absolutely exhausting that you can't really go through a day on cast Twitter without the, the world exploding and the sky falling in, in some regard.
0: And, um, the question I guess I had with all of that was how did anyone even figure out that, that had happened like that quickly? I I, (laughs) I just, I mean, you could figure out pretty quickly when somebody starts to follow somebody, but unless I'm missing something, is there an app that you can get or something that's going to notify people? When somebody you're following unfollows somebody else or something like unless somebody is um, just uh, lurking on their list of uh, follows and, and taking an inventory daily. Just the fact that somebody came up with that that fast is so strange to me.
2: Yeah, that that is a little bit creepy. I, I'm not sure what the deal is. I know you can get notifications on who unfollowed you, mm-hmm. but for somebody else, that seems that seems a little strange. I'm
1: sure there's some random app out there for these freaks that follow things a little little more closely than they probably should
0: that have
1: some <laughs> things like this set up to, to look for that type of stuff. I mean it's – I have to think it would be fairly easy to set something like that up considering it is just, just public knowledge really. It's the, right. right there for you. I mean you'd have to look specifically for it, but – if there's an app that can tell me when people unfollow me, I'm sure I could set up an alert to say, hey, if LeBron unfollows someone, tell me who he unfollows.
0: And let's mm-hmm. be honest with ourselves here. If there was any group in the world that's going to stumble across that kind of technology being it's available, bar. it's going to be the same group of people that was using flight tracking software um, for Tom Izzo uh, four or five years ago um, when yeah. he was up for the uh, the, the coaching search uh what was that, about three or four coaching years ago? So. Yeah,
2: and then they tracked Dan Gilbert's flight when he went to Miami to Miami. recruit LeBron uh, to bring him back, which I'm I'm still upset because that was during the summer and I was out of my cabin, and I don't get good uh, self-service there, certainly not data service. And I I found the one corner kind of in the cabin that night where I get some data, I was checking Twitter, and all I could see was people joking about the flight, tracking and that just sounded like the funniest day to be on cast twitter and i was just so (laughs) disappointed that i wasn't a part of it for that day because that that's beyond funny
0: i don't want to make you sad all over again but i'm going to tell you it was absolutely amazing from start (laughs) to finish that day so um oh i believe it hey anyway all right so more goofiness with lebron this one was really kind of out of his hands almost because the quote was something he actually gave the reporter Howard Beck from Bleacher Report all the way back before the All-Star weekend. Um, he had he had told uh, Howard Beck that uh, someday he hopes to play with Dwayne Wade, Chris Paul, and Carmelo Anthony, uh, good friends of his, uh, around the league, uh, currently playing for other teams, and um, given the uh, shall we say uh, uncertainty in terms of uh, the relationships in the locker room now, I guess. Um, and a lot of speculation from some of the uh, more nervous parts of the uh, Twitter fan base that uh, things could get blown up over the summer and uh, God only knows what else. Uh, of course, this uh, royaled people yet again.
1: Yeah, it reminds me of um, by the time I, I could see them actually playing together, I feel like, None of them would really be a threat anymore. <laughs> I feel like it's one of those things that's so far in the future. Like, hey, we're kind of mailing it in now. So, what do you say we all get together? Like in White Men Can't Jump, when uh, the King Farouk and Duck Johnson got back together for one more run, and everyone knew they didn't really they didn't really have it anymore. So Billy Hoyle mm-hmm. and Sidney Dean stuck it to them. Um, that's what. I, it, it just, It's one of these things like, yeah, it's a pipe dream. It's never actually going to happen. And if it does, it's not going to be the sort of uh, super team, I think, that it's sort of being built up to be.
0: Yeah, it might yeah, be LeBron's but, pipe dream, but I don't think it's any of ours.
2: No, no. And, like, theoretically, it could happen next season. And that's the thing. Like, Carmelo's been tied to the Cavs because they speculated – that there was a three-team trade in place with boston new york and cleveland where uh carmelo would be heading to the Cavs. maybe boston sent some other assets to cleveland uh love would end up on boston and i i guess crowder bradley and other stuff would end up on the knicks now uh, that's possible i and honestly with kind of the emergence of Channing Frye doing a lot of what loves asked to do in his reduced role. That's something that maybe I could see happening. Um, And then there's the Kyrie Chris Paul swap. That's been talked about a lot, which I'm not comfortable with because Chris Paul's knees are in the same state that Brandon Roy's were. Um, I I know Kyrie's had a checkered injured his uh, injury history, but he just turned 24 years old today. Uh, He's played more games this season at his age than Steph Curry did at that age. Um, He actually passed that marker in like January. Uh, Curry only played, I I believe, 20, 21 games uh, when he was 23 years old. That swap would make me really uncomfortable because, in my opinion, that doesn't solve any of their issues. Uh, Changing Kyrie for Chris Paul doesn't give them rim protection. It doesn't give them perimeter defense um uh, chris paul is a, a better player at this point but i don't think it dramatically changes your chances of winning a title so that makes me uncomfortable and especially if we're talking about next season and then dwayne wade's a free agent so if lebron and wade both took pay cuts you can theoretically make those four work do i think it's going to happen no i i think lebron uh at all Star weekend just kind of talking about how fun it would be They get to play together in the Olympics. That's great. Um, the mellow swap, I can kind of see. The Kyrie swap, as I said, makes me nervous. Do I think all three of those things happen? No. The timing yeah, of that Tino, story... Can you provide, Tino, can you provide some context to this? Like,
1: was he asked, hey, I know you're good friends with these guys. Would it be cool to play with them? Or did LeBron kind of offer it up? He, he was led. He was led into that. Okay, that's sort of what that's sort of the feeling I got, but I didn't hear the actual I didn't hear the actual quote, like full uh, full tape from it or anything.
0: Mm. That's what I was going to ask is um, the fact that that interview was done all the way uh, back by All-Star Weekend. And now here we are in like mid to late March. The timing of that story coming out now just felt kind of weird to me. Like, I, I don't know. Well, yeah.
2: The, the thing is, like, that was a long feature done primarily on Carmelo, like, and it was the relationship between those two players. And that quote was a like kind of a one throwaway hidden within the article that wasn't the center of the article. But when it was tweeted out uh, by the Bleacher Report main account, that quote was all it was. And I thought it was a, a, like a breaking news report but really it was a fantastic feature by Howard Beck on Carmelo Anthony uh the relationship between Melo and LeBron uh growing up um and like it is really well done but that was just kind of one quote uh that he got at All-Star break but th- there's obviously a lot more research and things that went into it after that point you, you got it, that's one of those stories that uh, I've never done one but uh, assume Based on the long form pieces I've done in the past, they they take a long time. And especially if you have uh, restricted access at times, uh, you might not always be able to interview Mello. It'd be tough to get Syracuse uh, interviews with a tournament going on, things like that. Like that can push how when uh, an article comes out considerably. So I don't think it was anything malicious or or clickbaity in terms of the release but that headline or that tweet certainly certainly was uh designed to um get some people get some eyes on the article
0: yeah that's uh the, the tweet itself was inflammatory and I, I gotta be honest um full disclosure here I, I did not read the full article yet i um ended up uh chewing up a significant part of my morning reading the uh the story on steph curry going to Under Armour. And the role that Kyrie had played in that and the whole rivalry between uh, Nike and Under Armour. And um, when I saw that story, I, I was kind of, of exhausted on LeBron drama, uh, given everything else this week. And I said, maybe that's one I can save for tomorrow. So I guess I'm going to have to go back and read that because it sounds like a pretty great feature overall.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it really was.
0: OK, that's fair. Hey, uh, so this Cavs rotation. um I think we saw a quote from Ty Lu earlier this week saying that he feels like he has a rotation in place. I don't know if it's just me, but I feel like I'm seeing guys playing different minutes or in the case of Richard Jefferson tonight, not at all. Um, and in the starting lineups changing a lot um, when guys are coming in and out uh, the five man units that we're seeing out on the floor um, seem to vary quite a bit from game to game. And I still even here with the, uh, just uh, a handful of regular season games left. I still don't feel like I got a handle on what their rotation looks like. Justin, I'll ask you, do you buy into the notion that they've got a rotation kind of set more than uh, it might appear?
2: You might have one in mind. I I haven't seen it. Um, I I think he's keeping it a secret from everybody. Um, The one thing that we've kind of seen consistent is when, Typically LeBron plays the full uh, first quarter and Kyrie is the first one subbed out. Um, And then Kyrie plays a lot more with the second unit. We saw against Milwaukee, both Kyrie and Love played a lot together without LeBron. I was very encouraged by that. I think that's something that they do need to do uh, more frequently to avoid uh, the dramatic drop off on the benches out there, because really they have had an issue sustaining leads and sustaining that intensity because while the cast team is very deep, the role players are all designed to play with the big three, or at least one of the members of the big three. They play off of those guys. They aren't a self-sustained bench mob. As, as much as I love Della Vadova and he is a capable playmaker, there's nobody that can really initiate the offense consistently there.
0: Trev, what uh, what have you seen? Um,
1: Truthfully, I... <laughs> I feel like they're still tinkering. I think if they have an idea what they want to do, um, they haven't tipped their hand, which I don't know if that's good or bad. Honestly, at this point, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see them um, know what they want to do and go out and do it. And whether it, whether it works as expected or not, I'm not as uh, concerned with. But I, I'd still like to kind of see some stability and some consistency there that tells me, hey, I, this is what we should expect to see. This is what they think they're going to run with. And if it doesn't work, yeah, change it. But um, I don't know if I've seen as much consistency from game to game as I would expect and hope to see going into the last I don't know, what do we have, 15 games left or so?
2: No, um, like 11.
1: Is it that low? Wow. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think we're past the point where we should be tinkering with the lineup. Um, personally I, I'd kind of like to see them be a little more stable and have like you just pointed out like some nights we see uh, Jefferson for 15-20 minutes other nights he doesn't even see the floor so um, I, I kind of like to see them shore things up and just kind of know what they're going to do and go out and work on it and just make sure that they're improving the those existing rotations and make sure that they're making them work as well as they can going into the playoffs instead of still trying to see, um, and feel things out, I guess, for lack of a better term.
0: You know, just thinking Mm -hmm. more about it with Jefferson, I know the Cavs have got another game, uh, tomorrow night. So it'll be the second night of a back-to-back and maybe they're thinking, uh, rest some guys that played, uh, some bigger minutes tonight and then run him a little bit more tomorrow. Um, the one that I was, uh, thinking about, uh, beyond that was, uh, Mozgov, um, Justin, yeah. I'll ask you, like, what do you do with that guy? Because, I mean, for long stretches of the season, I felt like he's basically unplayable. But then you, like, you see tonight against a team with some length like Milwaukee, um, he played 20 minutes, and, um, I mean, he scored he 10 points. He pulls him out of nowhere. Yeah, I, I just, um, every once in a while, he'll show a flash of looking uh, kind of uh, competent, like you might be able to run him out there. I I, I don't know. Justin, what do you think?
2: Uh, more or less, I want to see Mozgov replaced by Channing Fry in the rotation. Um, I'd like to see Fry play a lot more of those minutes. Um, against a bigger team like Milwaukee, who does have a, a legitimate scoring center like Greg Monroe that has considerable size, I was, I, I was fine with it. I, I think Mozgov should be a bit more of a, a spot rotation player. It was nice to see him score, like you said, five or six shooting. Um, it is a little disappointing that he only did collect three rebounds in the 21 minutes he played. But in general, he looked good. He's looked more engaged recently. But overall, he, he isn't playing defense at the same level as last season. And Fry. Well, he's not a, a defensive stud or anything like that. He does play solid team defense, and he does have length, um, so that that can be disruptive. So, in general, especially with the league going smaller and smaller and a real lack of true post play, um, I'd like to see Fry kind of replace him in the rotation. Um, but I, I mean, if we we go against a team like let's say Chicago in the playoffs or. De- Detroit with Andre Drummond, you'd like to see Mozgov get more minutes. So I am okay with him still having a spot in the rotation, especially from a confidence standpoint, but how he's deployed night to night really has varied more dramatically than matchup base. Like there's some nights that he doesn't play at all. There's some nights he plays 30 minutes um, and it doesn't really even feel situational. So like you said, with only 11 games left in the regular season, you'd like to see the team really firing on all cylinders, having a set rotation. But uh, <laughs> when you fire a coach halfway through the season, um, you, you're not exactly where, where you think you'd be uh, 30 game, games into uh, Ty lose's tenure. Are
0: there any lineup combinations, any uh, maybe front court pairings or? Or just any groupings that uh, you would like to see more together that you haven't seen enough of to this point.
2: I'd like to see more minutes with the Cavs' four best players playing together, which statistically the Cavs have the most success when Kyrie Irving, LeBron James, Kevin Love, and Tristan Thompson play together. They played. Uh, they did play together tonight again it's milwaukee which is great to see but the like all of the advanced numbers just love those lineups together um the other thing i'd like to see more of uh and we are seeing a little bit more recently is Kyrie and della together um i really think with shumper's offense being uh, less consistent than l- last season with his defense not really taking a dramatic step forward and the way Delavidova has progressed I-, I just really like those two players together uh, I think it helps make the Cavs less predictable especially if they're playing with LeBron you have three fantastic or you have three good playmakers there in Delvadova, Irving and James um, that can prevent the sets from becoming predictable. Um, The last set I'll say is more looks with Kyrie and LeBron running the pick and roll, Um, whether that be with Channing Frye or Kevin Love at center. uh, Doesn't really make a huge difference to me, but I'd like to see those kind of three-man combos of Kyrie, LeBron, and either Love or or Frye with other shooters, because uh, I really think that's a damn near impossible play to defend, and it's something that the Cavs haven't used enough of. Hmm.
1: Do you think? Uh, do you think the 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 biggest, I guess, the best way for them to to go is to kind of abandon that? I mean, I don't know that you want to sit them on the bench for entire games or anything, but I feel like the best way for the Cavs to be efficient is without Mozgov and without a true center in there. Uh, Tristan really being the only guy that's going to play really close to the basket because even Love obviously plays that stretch four position where he's out there, mm-hmm. which I'm, I'm sort of sick of hearing the term, but him and uh, Channing Fry both, they're not playing really close to the basket. Uh, basket. Tristan is, and Mozgov, that's really all he can do. Right. Um, do you feel like their best way is really just to kind of run with that? It's not necessarily small ball because you could potentially have a couple seven footers on the floor, but right. um, sort of a lot of shooters instead of that, that slow them down, sort of pound the ball out and work the ball around, feed it,
2: that sort of inside out game. I absolutely think that's the best way for the Cavs to play. Play small without actually being small, and, and that's something that, even Tristan Thompson allows them uh, to do when he's playing at center, because one thing people don't consider is Tristan does create a lot of space because he's an elite pick and roll finisher. He's top three in the NBA. He's just behind uh, Hassan Whiteside and DeAndre Jordan. Uh, So when he's going up, setting the screen for the ball handler, defense really gets up because they both have to hedge. Because typically it's Kyrie, over or a, a good shooter, or someone that's going to draw a lot of attention, initiating the pick and roll. Um, and then Thompson as a role man is someone you, that you really have to account for. So that does create spacing. So playing big while, or, or playing small and fast while still maintaining that size, is the Cavs' identity. Um, I like the pace that they're playing at. Uh, people like to talk about Tai Lue wanting to push the pace and how come the pace hasn't picked up. What's important to me is that they're still playing at a slower pace overall in the game, but they're pushing up into their sets quicker. They're trying to get out in transition. If the transition opportunity is there, they take it. If not, because they're not taking 10 seconds to bring up the ball, there's actually time on the shot clock to run your first set and then to run a second set if that's not working. When you take so much time to bring up the ball, LeBron and Kyrie both have the tendency to go into isolation, drive and kick basketball, which, while it's effective because of how much talent the Cavs have, becomes predictable in the playoffs. So I, I like the style they're playing, but I, I do think they need to abandon um giving Mozgov so many minutes so you can give him his spot minutes make him the third string center um but really they need to space the floor more and they need to play that way because that's the style that benefits Kyrie and LeBron more than anything
0: are you surprised by just how big of an impact and and how much of a role uh Channing fry has been able to carve out for himself since he came on board I felt like he was going to get some opportunities to to hit a shot here or there. And if he got 10 to 15 minutes, that'd be great. But I mean, he's become like a pretty integral part of their offense here and, and the, really their rotation in pretty short order.
2: Hmm. I thought it would happen quicker. Um, I was a big proponent of adding Channing Fry, um, mostly because his contract also goes for another two years after this season. So I viewed him as a Mozgov replacement and with how Mosgoth's been playing, I thought Channing Fry would almost be starting at this point. Uh, Lou hasn't gone that direction, but there's a decent chance Channing Fry is the best shooter on the team. He's basically seven feet tall, his release is insanely high and very quick. Um, he's been shooting around 40% for the last couple of years. And that's with not a lot of spacing on a disjointed team in Orlando. You give him open looks, he's going to knock them down. And I know I'm saying this after he went over five against Milwaukee. Um, but the guy overall on catch and shoot opportunities in Cleveland has just been out of his mind. Um, he's, he's been a big part. I'd like him to see be a bigger part as the season goes along. Um, but it doesn't completely surprise me. He's He's been in successful situations, too, with Phoenix, uh, working with Steve Nash. Um, so it doesn't surprise me with his IQ, uh, being a good locker room guy in that, that he's, he's been able to carve out a role on the team.
0: Yeah, I would consider his uh, shooting performance tonight to be a bit of an outlier um, compared to the— body of work that we've seen from him uh, since he came over at the trading deadline. I've been very impressed and and I think he's been a, a tremendous fit. So um, I, I'm, I'm hundred percent with you there. Uh, let's talk Kyrie a little bit. Um, uh, the other birthday boy here today, uh, so to speak. I, I know that um, for certain segments of the fan base, uh, they seem to be borderline unfairly critical of him Um, And I think a lot of that stems from the fact that he's the point guard, but he doesn't really play like a traditional point guard. And I don't think his skill set and what he does and his role within the Cavs uh, lineup necessarily is for him to function as somebody who's going to go out there and, and set up his teammates for 10 assists. And I, do you think, uh, but saying that at the same time, um I do think he falls into some bad habits sometimes of over dribbling a little bit. Do you think the criticism that he gets here um from certain fans is is unwarranted or do you think there are certain things that he um should be criticized for or or criticisms that are fair? Well, he,
2: there's certain things that he should be criticized for. Um I I, I know I, I... People come after me whenever I, I criticize certain players. LeBron, people really don't like me going after. But um, I, I think there's reasons to criticize basically every player on the team. For Kyrie, what people need to understand is he does play off ball a lot. Um, he, he plays next to LeBron, who's going to be the primary playmaker, no matter who you put him with. If, if it was John Wall, John Wall would need to find a way to play off ball. Uh, which he, he I don't believe he's versatile enough to do at a very high level. Um, that's one of the benefits of having Kyrie is that he is incredibly versatile. He can play off ball. The fact that, I mean, since he's come off minute restriction, he's basically getting about five, five and a half assists a game, which is great, uh, especially for a secondary playmaker. Uh, I think something that's important for people to realize is when LeBron is off the floor, Kyrie is top 10 for point guards in assist percentage. So the amount of plays that he has that result in assist is in the top 10% for point or the top 10 point guards in terms of percentage. So he has shown that passing ability. Um, People made a very big deal about the uh, game where he had one assist there against Dallas, even though they won. Uh, He had eight assist opportunities that night. They only converted on one of them. That same night, Steph Curry had a game where he only had six assist opportunities, but he got rewarded with four. Um, It's just funny to me that we have this notion that people need to be a a traditional point guard getting 20 and 10 when the best player in the league um, plays point guard and doesn't play it in that traditional way. Um, The best offenses that we've seen recently have always... Been with multiple playmakers uh, The Spurs uh, Have had a ridiculously good Offense with Tony Parker averaging Fewer assists than Kyrie um, So the fact that Kyrie's getting high assist totals as a secondary Playmaker um, Is encouraging to me uh, The other thing people need to realize is Because he is playing off ball You can't expect when the team Finds out with an hour before the game That LeBron isn't playing That he's going to step in and show progress as a playmaker when he's never asked to do that, or he's rarely asked to do that. And they haven't had a practice without LeBron to get comfortable and get chemistry without their primary playmaker. So there's a lot of things people don't consider with Kyrie. Um, I I think his defense has taken a step back this season. I think it's fair to criticize him on that. Um, He does need to advance as a playmaker in terms of manipulating the defense to create assists. He's a willing passer that hasn't yet developed the vision uh, that some of the elite point guards have, Um, which is partly on him. uh, It's partly on the organization that he's now playing under his fourth coach in five years, his fourth offensive system in five years, which is tough for anyone. Um, So people, there's an equal share of the blame. Uh, But overall, uh, uh, I think people focus on that too much when the fact of the matter is LeBron and Love play a lot better individually with Kyrie on the floor and the Cavs collectively play better with Kyrie. And I'm sorry for the length of the rant, but um, it it just is something that I think people are a little unfair with uh, overall when it comes to Cavs Twitter.
1: No, Justin, I think you're spot on. I I think you just said it actually perfectly when you pointed out that uh, he needs to work on, on, I guess, manip- you, you said, I think, manipulating the defense to distribute the ball. I think a lot of people know he's, he's, a, re- he's a really good scorer. He's, a, I think, surprisingly good shooter. I don't think people um, necessarily realize what a good shooter he really can be. Um, but he's an incredible ball handler, maybe one of the best in the league. And I think people automatically assume that, the ability to get to the basket and score, but also the like that ball handling ability and dribbling that he, that he has uh, um, should automatically translate to assists when it's a completely different game. Like you can be an incredible ball handler, not necessarily be uh, fantastic at breaking down a defense or getting into those spots where the assists come easily. And I think that's really where his, his biggest um, area of opportunity is uh, because, because he he does everything else well he just and and you pointed out a lot of times he can set up really well um give himself good chances for assistance if the shots don't fall they don't fall you can't do anything about that um that's not to say that he's always great in that area and it's always the other guy's fault but Mm -hmm. um yeah i think justin just said it perfectly um there's there's some area of opportunity there, but I don't think it's as as drastic an, an area as people seem to think.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, one of the other things, Justin, just let me ask you, because uh, you're obviously dialed in on Kev's Twitter. You never happen to listen to any of the local sports talk from Cleveland at all, do you, like from the radio?
2: I used to a long time ago. Um, I... I don't listen to any sports talk radio now, uh, God bless not you, in Winnipeg, not Cleveland. Like, it's it's been a healthy life decision for me. I just – I've decided to listen to more podcasts and to read more. Um, I, I think reading uh, – there's still so many great writers out there. Like, I, I constantly find myself bookmarking so much. But, no, I avoid sports talk radio at all, all costs at this point.
0: Okay, because the reason I'm I, the I opposite ask – Yeah, Trav and I have gone back and forth on this quite a bit. Some conversations on here and uh, many, many, many more um, outside of the podcast. But the reason I ask that is because I think Cav's Twitter and um, the blogging community is really smart in terms of understanding where the NBA and the game of basketball in general are going, and uh, they're kind of seeing the future of it and, and... Um, understanding that traditional roles as we've known them in basketball growing up are kind of evolving and how a player like a a Kyrie um, is extremely effective and and a great player, but not necessarily what you envision of uh, a a traditional old school pass first point guard. And I just, I feel like um, a lot of the local media here, especially on the the radio just has a very antiquated notion of um uh, uh how basketball works and and Trav, feel free to jump in and correct me here if you disagree but i just i think that 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 um mindset tends to shape a lot of uh the more casual fan um opinions in town and i think that leads to a lot of the friction and frustration trap would you agree with that
1: Easily, no question about it. There's really only one show in Cleveland that's led by that has sort of a a younger perspective in the driver's seat, and that's that morning show in 92.3 with Ken Carmen and Anthony Lima. But if you look at everyone else, um, they're all led by old guard guys who have been um, who are who are still who still think the way to win. And the way that and and the way that you, I mean, the way to a championship is um, sort of that that '80s and '90s uh, style, where it's a, where it's a very prototypical. Um, there's no hybrid positions. Everyone has their their typical uh, point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, center, and that's how you win. Um, and if your point guard, the guy who's deemed the point guard in the box score doesn't uh, necessarily play a hundred percent that way. You, your chances aren't good. Um, mm-hmm. Kyrie certainly has been the biggest, I think um, victim of that flaw in logic in that he just, um, he probably takes more heat than anyone else because he is, he does play more of a scoring style. Um, he's more of an attacker. More of a shooter than the traditional point guard is. And I think that those shows, if, I mean, if you look, Tino, you, you probably agree. If you look at the guys that are leading those shows, they're all guys that are in their 40s and 50s and they've, they've, they're sort of stuck in their ways. And I think that's still how it is. And I think the younger, the younger crowd that has, has watched the NBA sort of evolve over the last, uh, I don't know, 10, 15 years, you know that there's the, that's not even really how you win anymore. That, that sort of formula doesn't work. You have to have guys that are a little more versatile than that. And I don't, I don't know that the guys with the biggest voices realize that.
0: So, anyway, Justin, just uh, to try to sum up what, what we've been saying here is unless you are looking for a reason to go slam your head on your desk in frustration, you're, you're probably <laughs> not missing much um, from the local uh, sports talk scene. Uh, here in Northeast Ohio, Um we are. Uh... And
1: self-admitted, I watch it way too much and I engage way too much with local sports radio, way more than I should. And it drives me insane. But for whatever reason, it's it, it keeps me occupied throughout
2: the day while I'm doing my work.
0: They know how to push your buttons, man. And, and the other
2: thing is they they're paid to have opinions. Um they're paid to get people listening, but at the same time, they're, they're often stretched really thin. They might be covering three, four sports, which you don't have the time. It's almost a, a full-time job to fully educate yourself on how these sports are evolving, uh, everything that's going on, uh, and especially like if you're older, you have a family as well. Um, You're trying to watch the games that takes up three hours of your evening Um, like there's so much going on. There's no way that you could properly educate yourself on that many sports. Like I used to write uh, both hockey and basketball, and I found that my hockey writing was starting to go off because I didn't have enough time to invest in that. Uh, I mean, I, I have a full time job as well. Um, so I, I had to put that to the side because I, I, I could only keep up with one sport to the level that I felt comfortable attaching my name to it. And I'm I'm fortunate enough to have uh, a good friend of mine that does um, host um, some sports talk radio in Winnipeg. And um, he he's given me a lot of insight on kind of things like that where it feels – that the people there just you, you don't have the time to properly educate yourself on everything you, you find your niche but these guys are paid to have opinions so they can't say, well, you know what I, I'm really not sure about it they they need to have that opinion otherwise you're not going to be on air anymore.
0: That's fair. All right hey listen we're getting close to about 45 minutes in I wanted to look at uh, the Eastern Conference playoff picture. Overall, here. So, um, if we could uh, just dive into that for a few minutes, I've uh, I've got the updated standings, the up to the minute uh, Eastern Conference standings here, and um, got the Cavs now um, with Toronto losing tonight. The Cavs are two and a half games clear um, for the best record in the conference. Toronto's got the uh, the second spot pretty much locked up, and you got this whole glut of teams here: Miami, Atlanta, Boston, and uh, even Charlotte, um, three through six there. Um, all virtually tied. I guess Charlotte's a half game back. And then there's another glut of teams. Um, you're looking at basically uh, three teams, um, Indiana, Detroit, Chicago fighting for the last two spots. Uh, Justin, I'll ask you this. Um, is there anybody in the bottom half of that bracket that uh, you, if you're looking at uh, potential first round matchups for the Cavs, Um, I guess out of that, that bottom three, Indiana, Detroit, and Chicago, is there a team, any of those there that concern you?
2: Uh, I don't want to play the Bulls. I don't think that there's a chance for an upset. But I I went to the games, the playoff games against Chicago and Cleveland last year, and I I remember the team was frustrated at David Blatt bringing up that Kyrie was playing hurt against Boston because – Chicago was targeting Kyrie constantly on every screen. They were always trying to kick at his legs and they were always trying to aggravate the injuries. There's bad blood between the teams and I just don't want to see anyone get hurt. So for that reason, I don't want to play the Bulls. Um, Detroit, they're physical, Um, not the ideal team to play, but I'm not worried about an upset. Indy's got Paul George, which I, I think would be exciting, but overall I don't think they pose a huge threat. If I had to pick a perfect team to play round one, it'd be Washington, uh, just because that would be uh, – I mean, they're they're not very good, but they're right there in the picture. They're a half game – or they're two games back, two and a half games back of that eight seed, but uh, only two games back in the loss column, so it, it's certainly possible for them to make it. That would be my ideal situation, but I, I just – I'm sick of the Bulls. I don't want to see them in the eighth seed.
0: Hard to imagine that after all the uh, uh, beatings the Eastern Conference has taken for so many years that Chicago right now is two games over 500 and out of the playoffs um, if they started today. It's it's crazy to me that it's – I don't even know if it's totally flipped that way because I still think the West has got a lot of great teams in it, Mm -hmm. but – yeah it definitely seems like the bottom of the east um in terms of like the bottom of the playoff picture has gotten much better this year than it has in the past uh four or five years anyway um, right out of that middle group there we're looking at uh, miami atlanta uh boston and uh, charlotte uh the, the hornets um kind of springing up this year I'm, I'm a little surprised by them um have you gotten to see any uh any of charlotte at all and do you have any thoughts on them I have. uh, I originally
2: picked Charlotte to make the playoffs at the beginning of the season. I think I had them either in seven or eight, but that was largely because of Michael Kidd-Gilchrist. The fact that they've done it without him has blown me away. Uh, Kemba Walker has taken a huge step forward this season. Nick Batum's uh, found his form. Um, They've added shooting. Courtney Lee was a great pickup at the deadline. They actually have the third best record in the NBA since uh, February 1st. So wow. they're a very well-coached team. Uh, they, they play defense well. They have a lot of depth. Um, I don't necessarily see them as a threat, but they're, they're somebody that I could see making some noise. And um, I, I think it's a pretty safe bet that they'll get their uh, first playoff win in franchise history. They've, they've made it in a couple times, but they've been swept. Um i I'm not I wouldn't be surprised if they made the uh second round, even if they have to go up against a team like uh Miami in the first round. Hmm.
1: That's so does this so does this Charlotte Hornets team not get any of the accolades of the previous Charlotte
2: Hornets teams? I don't believe so. Uh, I think it was I don't an expansion franchise. So, yeah, I so they they got that's the how the
1: team's name and everything, but they don't get the records or anything.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think because it was an expansion team. Um, Winnipeg has the same thing going on with the the Jets, uh, the NHL team, because they got a team relocated from Atlanta that was an expansion team, so they don't have any of the old franchises' records. Um, See, so here in Cleveland, we actually know a little something or two about when your team leaves. <laughs> you would. And you, you would. get an
1: expansion team, and you get to keep all that stuff that went That's with the That's not always team. the case. That's not always so I, the I don't know how the NBA handles it. But. Yeah,
0: see and and the sad thing is that 17 years later it's still all we have to cling to. So um, <laughs> Yeah, we're
1: still t- yeah, we're still hang hanging on to those titles like they mean something.
0: Yeah. Bernie Kosar is still a deity here in Cleveland. That's sad, bitch. Um, the the longer that uh, the Browns go on without any sort of a real quarterback, uh the the larger Bernie's legend grows, but uh, we're getting sidetracked <laughs> yeah. here. Um am I crazy in, in thinking it would be almost surprising to actually see Toronto make it to the Eastern conference finals? I
2: wouldn't say it's surprising.
0: Um, I'd say they
2: probably be, probably be the, if Damari Carroll comes back and is healthy because they've done what they've done this season, their, their record, which is, I believe better than the thunder even, um, They've done it without their third-best player. And um, they've missed a lot of time from Jonas Valanciunas as well. Um, I think Miami or Toronto would be the two teams that I could see in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, Miami it depends on health. But really, that clump of teams is so close together, I wouldn't be surprised if anybody lost in the first round. Um, so who could be the Eastern Conference or the other team? Uh, facing the Cavs in the Eastern Conference Finals, that there's uh, a pretty long list of possibilities.
0: Yeah, I just... I um, think... go, no, go ahead, Trebs.
1: No, I was just going to say, I think with, with the way that their matchups could play out, it wouldn't be that surprising because um, if they were to go against Indiana in the first round, that's but uh, as far as seven seeds go that's a pretty tough team to go against and then if they match up with Miami in the second round that could be interesting um obviously a lot of people are talking about them um they're actually a half game uh, behind Oklahoma City just one behind in the win column um but yeah they're right there with them they've been if you look at the way that their season's gone Toronto's they didn't have that great of a start the fact that they have the record that they do have is is pretty incredible um Mm -hmm. i I, the way how hot they've been over the last few months um they kind of struggled out of the gate and they've just played i don't know i I might be in the minority but i expected them to kind of revert back to that a couple months ago um, and sort of start to fall back in the standings. I fully expected the Cavs to have a good seven, eight, nine game cushion by now in the season. And for whatever reason, the Raptors just won't go away. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they'll, if if chalk holds, they'll have a couple pretty tough matchups uh, for their first two rounds of the playoffs before they were to get to the Eastern Conference Finals.
0: I just want to say real quick that um, Atlanta and Boston are the four or five. And I have absolutely zero concerns about the Cavs facing either one of those teams in the second round.
1: Agreed. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. uh, The only team that I think could legitimately upset the Cavs if the Cavs are distant and not playing at their best is Miami. If Chris Bosh is back, because I just think they, they have so many weapons there with Goran Dragic uh, Joe Johnson, Dwayne Wade, Luel Dang, Hassan Whiteside, Chris Bosh, Gerald Green, Amari Stoudemire. Like There's a lot there and they're very well coached. Um, that's the only team that I could see the Cavs playing down to a level where that team can pass them. I, I don't think Toronto can do it. Um, but that's the only team that I would worry about in the second round. But it looks like with how Miami's playing, I, I think they are going to be able to lock up that three seed. Um, which would currently put them in, uh, in a really tough first-round match against the uh, Charlotte Hornets, which uh, I don't think it's a guarantee that either of those teams uh, advance at that point. It's hmm. funny
1: you say that, though. You look at my if if Miami would play Charlotte in the first round right now, uh, Miami is only a half game ahead of Charlotte. I know.
2: It, it's they hilarious. They have the same
1: number of wins, and they are one they uh, they got one fewer loss right now. So... That kind of gives you an indicator, and you look at and it's
2: about to even out because Miami's down thirty currently to the Spurs.
0: Oh my! So it'll
1: take a, it'll take a heck of a comeback.
2: So. <laughs> but, um, Especially with three minutes left. Yeah, yeah I mean, unless they look, they
0: bring in the MTV Rock and Jock hoops, I don't the uh, I don't think that all oh, the that's twenty gonna be point him. basket
1: yeah. would be amazing. Get Dan Cortez out there, start chucking. <laughs> I love it, Justin. That might uh, be
0: before your time. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, uh,
1: but. No, I mean, you look beyond Toronto in the East, three to, uh, I don't know, nine, even 10, if you count Washington, there's not that big of a gap between any and any of them, really. So um, I don't know if there's really one that stands out as that much better than the other Miami, probably. I think Justin's probably right. Miami's probably the only one of that group that um, I, I think would And and again, it's predicated on them being fully healthy Chris Bosh being available and them playing up to their uh, full capacity but none of those teams are really that intimidating I don't think and they're all fairly even with one another Miami probably being the lone outlier outlier just because um they've got a lot of proven experience on that team I think in winning in the playoffs
0: last thought I have on this in terms of Miami I I still feel like the Cavs would beat them in a series because um just looking yeah. at the way some of those games have gone here in Cleveland it, it seems like the Cavs are are fine um and they would have the home court in that series but um just circumstances this year with the two games that they played down in Miami both of them being on the second night of a back to back and uh, LeBron not even playing in the first one at all mm. um I'm not totally panicking about the way those two games went Oh, I'm not
2: panicking at all. Especially that last game was their fifth game in, was it seven nights? Seven nights, nights.
0: yeah, five and seven.
2: In five different cities. And last season, if people remember, Atlanta blew out the Cavs by like 20 in every game. And then the Cavs beat them with a hobbled Kyrie and no love. They swept them in the playoffs. It's a totally different animal. Um, And junior isn't going out to the club. He's not going out to the Miami clubs uh, when it's the uh, playoffs. So I'm, I'm not too concerned. The only way I can see them beating the Cavs is if the Cavs played down to their level and they just got caught, which uh, there's obviously concern about it with the team not clicking and going into the playoffs on fire. Um, but there's certainly an opportunity for the Cavs to close out the season strong with a weak schedule and be playing at a high level and hopefully carry that through to the playoffs.
0: Yeah, I'm not uh, overly concerned about those two games down in Miami this year, but, man, it would just be nice to see the Cavs put up a a good performance down there once, just every time. I mean, this goes back to LeBron leaving, um, I think it's, what, now 10 or 11 or maybe even 12 straight losses down there. It's just one of these things I'd like to see a Cavs win down there It just... It it gets a little old after a while. So, hey, all right, uh, this has been fun, man. Uh, uh, any other thoughts on the Cavs uh, lingering that uh, you wanted to throw out there before we wrap things up? I'm no, asking a question out there, real
1: oh, quick. We'll go for it. So, in two thousand nine, I, I feel like we felt sort of the same way back then. Is there any concern that maybe we're a little bit overconfident with how easily this team should? Uh, cruise through the east
2: there's certainly or do we possibly- really think
1: they're that far ahead of everyone else
2: i do i i really do if and especially because we, we don't know if chris bosh does come back from miami like that changes a lot he is their best player um but if the Cavs are clicking on all cylinders they sh- are head and shoulders above these other teams and like the rest of the East is deep. It's really good. Like you mentioned, like Chicago's missing playoffs and they'd be a sixth seed in the West, um, or at least currently. They're just not at that contender status yet. They, they might be a piece away, and there's a lot of dangerous teams for the future. But if the Cavs are playing even at, I'd say, about 85%, 90%, they're, they're going to get through the Eastern playoffs pretty easily, in my opinion, unless there's an injury.
0: Trev, my answer to your my answer to your question is um unless there is a uh team in the Eastern Conference whose center is using stick'em and half of their rotation is on performance enhancing drugs, um, like a certain team um down in uh, Orlando uh, back in two thousand nine, <laughs> then, then no, the I, I really do not have any concerns about any teams in the East.
1: Okay. I I, I agree, but I'm also pretty uh pretty well established homer and i wanted to make sure that i wasn't just uh i don't know with the uh wine and gold colored glasses over here kind of buying into <laughs> it a little more than i should be
0: well would, wouldn't be the first time we got burned but uh we're, Won't we're be used the to last. it by now so all right hey let's uh let's wrap it up here uh justin we really uh, really appreciate you uh joining uh, the nail in the coffin tonight this has been a lot of yeah, fun and uh, hopefully uh, we might be able to get you back at some point during the playoffs
2: yeah, sounds good. Thank you so much for having me. It was uh, a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, uh so anybody out there, if uh if you're a Cavs fan, you should absolutely be reading uh dot com and um you should be uh, subscribed to the uh Fear the Sword Podcast. And uh if you're not following Justin already on Twitter, he is uh Cavs Anada, is that how you pronounce that? It's uh that is correct A Cavs and uh A N uh A D A like uh Cavs and Canada all in one. So uh Yeah, um, good stuff from Justin there, and uh, a reminder is always that uh, you can catch all episodes of our show at uh, our website, thenailpodcast.com, and if you're an iPhone user, you can go subscribe to our show in iTunes, Um, just uh, fire up the podcast app, search for The Nail in the Coffin, and uh, we'll be there. I think, uh, yeah, I think that'll do it for us tonight, so uh, our thanks again to Justin Roan from Fear of the Sword. And uh, for the birthday boy, Travis Yulee, I am Tom Valentino. This has been the nail in the coffin, and we will talk to you again next week. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato and this is Pit Pass F1, a brand new podcast that'll take you closer to the action of the world's most prestigious motorsport. From Monaco to Miami and Australia to Azerbaijan, Pit Pass F1 is on the ground and has you covered. Esteemed F1 journalists Julianne Serasoli and Chris Medland will take you inside the sport every round. Pipass F1, a brand new show for Evergreen Podcasts.